The Table 40 Podcast with Matt and Leslie Holiday is presented by Sports Spectrum and the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. For more shows and stories on the intersection of sports and faith, check out sportsspectrum.com. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Table 40. Matt and Leslie here, and today... Uh, we are joined by the great Brad Thompson. Brad is a host of the Drive Time Show in St. Louis on 101 ESPN, which I also guest spot on Fridays. Um, great show. Uh, Brad and I were teammates with the Cardinals. Brad played, pitched for a long time in the major leagues, and now he is doing TV for Valley Sports. I almost said Fox, but it's Valley Sports Midwest, and he's killing it. Killing it, Brad. Thanks for coming on. Oh, Matt, Leslie, thank you guys for having me. We uh, we were uh, talking, and I knew we could have you on because you're super funny, and we you know we talk once a week now, so it's great. Um, but you just got back from from Chicago. You took a little business trip with some of your uh, your radio sponsors to Chicago. And we're right in the middle of a 16-game winning streak by your covering the, the St. Louis Cardinals and my former team. And we just got back from the big weekend uh, with, with celebrating the 2011 World Series. How was the experience as a fan in Chicago as opposed to playing and just kind of the vibe compared when, when, when the Cardinals are doing really well kind of in the playoffs and the Cubs are – in a complete rebuild where they've traded away all their iconic players and they had a bunch of guys, honestly, that I'd never heard of. Uh, what's the vibe like? Is it still buzzing like a, like a rivalry or is it just kind of like a one-sided deal? Where, like the Cubs are just fans are just like, you know, what, we'll just take our medicine. You know what? The, the energy was still nuts. And you talk about like perspective, what a different perspective it is going there. Like as, as a fan and kind of being in the middle of it and I'm out there, I'm rocking my Cardinals gear. I'm getting worn out by everybody. It's fun. Like the Cubs fans are still into it because look, they're Cubs fans and that's what they do. Like they support their team really well, but it is so funny as like watching the game and seeing it. So we sat out in one of the uh, rooftops, right? So we're across the street, get a perspective of the whole field. And we had a bunch of our clients with us, but like feeling the energy just in the whole area. And there were a lot of Cardinal fans, as you can imagine, being in the middle of a winning streak that, that the team is. But it, it, it was so cool to see that because I've pitched on that mound. I've had good moments. I've had bad moments, but it never really felt like that. Like, you know what the energy feels like and the, the crowd can bring you up. But you, you're not like it, it's not all encompassing, right? Like when you're watching as a fan, it is. So I'm watching guys make pitches, and I'm watching like Harrison Bader hit a big go-ahead home run late. I was like, man, th these moments are awesome. Like that's what I miss about like the playing is, is that energy and that feel that you get. But it was great. The the whole scene was good. And, and look, our radio show is you you join us every Friday. It's our favorite day of the week. No one got arrested. So like an overall, it was a very very positive experience. <laughs> win, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. All right, Brad. So let's talk about playing a little bit versus, I guess, let's talk about that side of things versus the side that you're on right now. And I don't know, Matt and I've been watching all the Cardinal games lately, and we're just super fired up for the guys. And just talk a little bit about what that feels like to be on that side of things, like in the locker room and you're winning, and you know, you have something special. And um, I don't know, let's just talk about your career. 
Well, you know, it's, it's so fun. And not, not to say any seasons are like the same, but like 06, I, I was part of the 06 team that won the World Series and we won 83 games in the regular season, like 83 games, 83 wins does not buy you what it used to buy you in 06. There's been inflation. Apparently you have to win more <laughs> games than that. But like it, it wasn't supposed to happen, but we got healthy at the right time. And then you have Albert Pujols is healthy and Jim Edmonds and Scott Rowland. All of a sudden playoffs hit we're healthy and we rolled like it, it, it was amazing. Nobody expected that team with the way things went, especially in September to do it, like to go on a run like that, Matt, your team in 2011, you guys were 10 and a half games out at the end of August. Nobody expected that part of it. Uh, and you guys went on an epic run and arguably the best world series in world series history. Like it was, it was ridiculous. This team. And, and I know you guys watch them close. This team was not good in the middle of the year. Like they just, they struggled. And you look around the room and say, man, this team should be a lot better. And credit to Mike Schilt, the manager who kept championing that. It's like, he's like, this, this group is better than, than they're playing. And they have been. So uh, to me, I, I just like watching that. Cause I know what it's like being a part of a team that has struggles and being a part of a team that has great successes, but it's the, the journey that's the best part. Like going through game one through 162, it's uh, it, it's a special thing. So what these guys are going through right now is amazing. They're going to have to play a one-game wild card, and that part of it's going to end up being nuts. But they don't feel like anybody can beat them. And Matt and Leslie, you guys know this feeling. Like that is a great feeling when you go out on the field and you know no one can beat you. And we had that in, in 2006 once the playoffs hit. My first year in the big leagues was 2005. And I joined a club that they had just won over 100 games a year before. They had the MV3 of, you know, Pools, Edmonds, and Roland. I, I walked into a culture of we win. That's like, that's all we do. We, we go out there and we beat everybody. That is uh, having that belief. That's a dangerous thing as a ball club. So talk about that a little bit. When you came up in 05, and I know when I got traded over, like, Tell me about the the culture that that those guys those and I noticed it more with the starting pitchers maybe than even anything else. But I, I tell me about the starting pitchers at that time and how they uh, the expectation the watching each other's bullpens the staying in the dugout and rooting on your teammates. Tell, talk about that group. I I, I don't remember exactly probably Woody Williams and 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 some of the other guys that were there at that time. Talk talk about that experience of coming up to it was probably a very veteran pitching staff right at that time. Yeah, I was by far the young guy on the team, me and Yachty. And Yachty was the only one that he was already established from being on the club in 2004. And, and to me, like the the entire staff and it was, you know, Mark Mulder was there at the time. Uh, Chris Carpenter, obviously, uh, was there. Matt Morris. I mean, it was a very veteran staff. And for, for me, it was the expectation was, hey, we're going to go out and win. And I did my role as a rookie where I just go get everybody coffee and then stick my head in the locker and then pop out every once in a while to see if anybody needs a refill. So I, I wasn't like I wasn't going to like chirp at everybody and trying to trying to bother everybody about how we do things. But they did such a great job of just leading by example and not just those guys. Right. I, I had so many guys out in the bullpen help me out. Jason Isringhausen uh, was one of my biggest mentors. Like I, I love that dude to death, just helping me through the day and day, you know, day in and day out grind of it. But there's an expectation when you get into an organization, and every organization has them. Matt, you've played for a bunch of them, where this is how we go about it. But you felt it in spring training. Like, like you knew coming in the door, while there's excitement of a new year, you knew what the goal was. Like, we're going to go out, we're going to win the division, and we're going to compete uh, for a championship. 
And I also appreciated the fact, not that I ever got out of line much because I was too scared, but if in fact something, like if something wasn't right, they wouldn't let it go. Like as a, a, the starting staff or in the bullpen, like the veterans there, they stopped anything and they would do so in a like good productive way where it's, hey, let me help you out because you are a part of we, like part of us. So there is like, you you always know the hierarchy of things. I knew where I was on this totem pole and, and everybody else was a lot higher, but we were all pulling the rope the same way. And then after four years, I got to talk to Chris Carpenter. So that was cool. <laughs> he was he was the one, man. And, and he would help you anytime you needed help. But he was more of a like, hey, I'm going to just watch Carp work. And, and he was, he and you, Matt, we've talked about Chris Carpenter. He's the hardest worker maybe I've ever seen. Like the, the days, fans get to watch start day. And it's an amazing feat to watch. I wish they got to watch the four days in between of the work that he puts in. Because that's what makes start day special. And to me, I learned a lot from that. Like I thought I worked hard. And then I watched Chris Carpenter work and say, I'm not doing enough. Like I, I might not ever have the skill set that he has, but at least I, I can work more and I, I can try more. And I, like, I learned a lot from that. But I remember it was spring training 2007, I think it was. And I'm sitting in the corner uh, and, and just talking to some of the bullpen guys and we're laughing, having a good time. And Carp's locker is right there. And he goes, Brad, when did you, when did you get funny? I'm like, hey, uh, Chris, I, I've been funny for the last few years. We just haven't spoke a lot <laughs> because because he came up old school, right? He came up with the Blue Jays, where it's like the veterans speak, you listen, and, and everybody ends up falling in line. You, have been but you like, learn a lot. This offseason, I've been working on it. You know, just recently, <laughs> I've, I've gotten funny. Yeah. I took I, some classes. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it would help me with my teammates. Uh, but but I love that aspect of it too. Like I love the, the learning. I feel like every job that you have, you know, there's a hierarchy in the job and you know that there's a goal in, in what you're trying to do, but you also kind of respect the ones that have been there for a long time and have done so uh, the right way. So, and now uh, Carp will talk to me anytime. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I, I built that trust. <laughs> so talk about, uh, so in, in talking about leadership, which we like to talk about on, on, on the podcast is, Talk about Tony LaRusso a little bit and, and what you think uh, that he brought as a manager and from a leadership style and, and what has sustained kind of this long career and it's even an incredibly now, long career. <laughs> <to> <laughs> now where he's still doing it and, and, and people, oh, he won't, you know, resonate with the younger players and, and really, you know, that I would never even once thought about that being an issue, but what did you see? you know, from a leadership standpoint that Tony was able to do that maybe set him apart, made him a Hall of Fame manager? Well, to me, first of all, like there's just so much care in everything that, that he does. And, and as you know, like he doesn't make any decision without a reason. Like there's always something there and there's an incredible intensity behind what he does. And there was a reason that Tony is back in a dugout now instead of upstairs in a front office because it was driving him nuts not to have a win or a loss attached to his name uh, at the end of it. But the attention to detail was one of the, the things that stood out to me the most. My first spring training in 2005, we're going through bunt plays on the backfield. And it was just a small, like, it wasn't even an error. It was just like a footwork could have been a little bit better on a throw to third. And we got a double play. It worked. He shut it all down and made us do it again. And then again and again until every little part of it was right. And 
that's how you win that many games. Like when your attention to detail is so fine that you don't let little things go. And it's not like in a harping, nagging manner. It's in a, hey, this is why we're going to win. These little things, this stuff that we're working on right now in March and spring training, this is going to pop up in September. And we might not use it in that whole block in between that entire season. But if you don't know this stuff now, you're not going to know it then when it matters so much. Uh, so I thought the the attention to detail with Tony was second to none, but also like his care for his players. Like he truly cared about his guys. Now, he might not be all lovey-dovey. And man, I'm sure you got hugs all the time, you know, because uh, no, no hugs. <laughs> I, I... Maybe when we won the World Series, we got one. I think you handed out <laughs> everyone that got their good. allotment. Yeah, yeah, made, made you earn it, right? Uh, but but the, the thing is, like, he truly cares about his guys, and he would he would defend his guys to the hill, right? Like, so if anybody takes what he believes is a perceived slight at any of his players, well, he was going to make sure he had their back in one way or the other. And, and when when you have guys like that, and, and to me. He and Dave Duncan are synonymous. Dave Duncan, the, the longtime pitching coach with, with Tony La Russa. Like, I just never wanted to let them down. Like, I, like they almost had to me, and they've been in this game so long, another, like, fatherly figure that is there where it's like, hey, they, they put so much into me. I want to make sure that I reciprocate, you know, everything that was there. So I, I enjoyed playing for Tony and I enjoyed playing for Dunk and I know that Tony right now and, and anybody that plays for for these guys for a long time or any time knows you could pick up the phone right now and Tony would answer and if you needed something he would be there for you whether he's he's managing the White Sox tonight or, or whatever he's got going on and to me I mean these are kind of hallmarks of just great leaders always being there for your guys I remember I tell people this all the time their guys throw a ball even anywhere near Albert we were hitting too like it wouldn't even be to get him and he's yelling from the dugout and we it'd be a one run game. We'd be ahead in the ninth inning. We were hitting the first guy the next inning in a one run game and put the tying run on first. If somebody threw it anywhere near Albert, like I consequences, like, we're going to hit that guy with a one run game. I, it didn't even hit Albert. Like Albert looked over at Tony and gave him the look. Like, I think that was on purpose. And like, <laughs> Tony's like next guy, we're getting two of theirs. Like it was like, I mean, it was incredible. And, but, and, and, you know, Tony, Tony will maintain, hey, I, I didn't do any of that. Like, no. I, I'm just uh, – he – but he was protecting his guys, right? He was he, he, Albert, even if it cost us that game. I mean, it was like – was. <laughs> I'll, but, I'll hit two, put the winning run on base. So think about the net benefit, though. Yeah. The net benefit, if I'm a pitcher and I feel like, oh, my gosh, I can't go inside to Albert Pujols, who is the best hitter in all of the lands – what is going to happen? And then you leave one over the middle of the plate. He hits a 700-foot home run, and the game changes because there's that fear factor of, I'm going to get one of my guys killed if I go inside on him. Yeah, I remember plenty of times being the uh, the expendable cast member after Albert <laughs> took a slight. And it's like, okay, yeah, <laughs> let's yeah. do this. Here comes 88 right in his ribs. Yeah, this is going to hurt in the right spot. <laughs> Okay, so looking back on your career, who would you say, I mean, you did mention Isringhausen, but like as far as mentors and leaders and people that you wanted to snuggle up to, or are there other guys besides Jason? 
Yeah, look, uh, there are countless people. And that, that, to me, is one of the best things about the organization. I feel like you just got thrown into a, a bunch of great leaders. That bullpen was a close-knit family, and, and I, I really enjoy Like, you know, Izzy helped me out a, a ton, obviously. Another guy that, that helped me a ton a couple of years later was uh, Russ Springer. And I'm sure you faced Russ Springer back in the day. Russ Springer, I remember playing against him when he was in Houston. And I hated him because he would come into the game. He'd have a scowl on his face all the time. He wouldn't be afraid to, to go up and in on somebody. He liked to call him the soul taker, Matt. He said, I, said, I took that guy's soul where he hits him right in the back. <laughs> I played with him in Oakland for four months. When I was in Oakland. <laughs> how, so, how was he there? Great. Amazing. Just like you're talking about. Yeah. So, and yeah, he was one where, because at the time when, when Russ came to the field, I had a, like, my whole career was a swing role. I would be in the bullpen. I'd go to the rotation. I'd be back and forth. But I wanted to start. Like, I wanted to be a starting pitcher. And I remember one time I got, I got taken out of the rotation. Somebody got healthy. And he comes and sits me down. He's like, you don't come down to the bullpen tonight acting like you got a demotion. You better not come down here like that. You better come down with your work pail ready to go. Because this is what we do. Day in and day out, we are ready to go to work. And little stuff like that. Like, little reminders uh, of, hey, you're you're in the big leagues right now and you got a job to do uh i always appreciated that cal eldred was one of uh, one of the guys that really was there for me day one right i called up it's overwhelming like there's so much going on uh day one in the big leagues my flight was late too so i'm like i'm showing up right before the game starts uh and cal was so great to me of kind of taking me under the wing and showing me the ropes and, and yeah, I'm sure that you guys know Cal Eldred and the Eldred family. They're, they're such great leaders, such uh, just good people uh, to be attached to. He helped me out. Same thing with John Mabry of just always being in the, the right place and doing things, in, you know, in, in the right way and realizing that your consequences, there are consequences to all your actions, uh, especially at the big league level with that microscope on you. So just so many people uh, along the way that kind of took me under their wing and taught me the right way because I was never that guy that was just, hey, I'm super talented. I'm going to figure this all out by myself. Like I, I've needed some help along the way and I've gotten plenty of it. That's good. I like what you said too about just going to the bullpen and, and establishing a role that's important to help the team. And, and I think that, I don't know, I think that that's a really important thing. Like Matt, Matt's coaching now and um, I'm watching Matt coach, <laughs> but I am interested in leadership and understanding how important it is to say, look, this is how you're going to help us get to where we want to go. And it may change over the course of a season, but there's, there's a lot of wisdom in that. There's a lot of wisdom in, in saying, this is, this is what we see in you. This is what we think you're good at. And, and let's help you be the very best you can be to help the team as a whole. I think that's wise. Yeah, well, I think it's it's something that maybe on the surface it seems like an easy concept, but when you're when you're going through it, there maybe is a bit of a sacrifice there. But you realize that the sacrifice ends up being for the greater good. And the in anything that you do, and I, I try to you know impose this upon my kids. My kids are young. My son is eight, finally getting into. He's getting into baseball. He loves it. He's running around the house cheering yesterday as the Cardinals won sixteen in a row. He's digging it, but just trying to impose that, that, Hey, there there's hard work that has to go into it. And there is going to be sacrifice and there's going to be a lot of failures. And sometimes you feel like just using the example of going from a rotation to the bullpen, well, you could have that feeling of, oh, okay, well, I failed here. Well, that's the wrong mindset. Again, as Russ Springer, you know, told me, he said, Hey, you 
are here now. You are one of us. We're we are not the country club bring your golf clubs crew. We are the we brought our lunch pail to work. We're ready to be here every day. Like you are a part of the right team now. And perspective. Perspective ends up being everything. But I'm sure, Matt, from like from a, a coaching standpoint, and especially with, with, with younger guys, like that's a hard thing to impose, isn't it? Well, I think especially when you talk about high school kids that were the best player on their team and and even some of the junior college kids that we get, they've always been the best player. They've been the starting shortstop. They've been the starting center field, you know. And so this is a lot of times the first time they've had any kind of baseball adversity and dealing with a slump or dealing with, you know, uh, not playing as much as, as they had always played. And so it is a, a time where you have to kind of explain to them how to handle adversity and, and and obviously they've had some adversity in their life that you would think at, eight, at 18 to 21 to this at, to this point but but probably not a lot and and so you know the first time adversity sets in uh, you can tell that some of them uh, know how to handle it and some of them have no idea how to handle it and so I think that that's been something that's been interesting for me as a coach and just being around them and, and watching and noticing and, and trying to help them and, and talk to them in ways, um, you know, that, that, that help not jump on them. You know, I, I think that there's a, there's a way to give them constructive criticism without, again, it's all in the delivery, right? I feel like that the great coaches that we've always, <clears throat> that we've had, that it's all about the delivery. Like Tony had an amazing way of, of delivery of, of how to deliver a message to a team and have the right, um, you know, tone at the right time. And I think that that's been something that I've been interested in and in coaching and just kind of learning that, that I've enjoyed um, the, the, the person, personal part of it. Obviously, I like to talk about the swing and the hitting part and whatever, but um, the personal and handling in each individual's uh, personality and competitiveness or uh, those things are, to me, is, is what helps manage a group of people, which, you know, is, is something that we all are part of a group of people, right? We don't all have to be on a baseball team or a sports team. We're all going to, you're part of a team now. Like you have, you have your people on your, on your show, and I'm sure there's people behind the scenes and just learning and teaching how to be a good teammate. And that's not necessarily just a sports teammate, I think has been something that's been cool. That's huge. Being able to like, to your point, being able to individualize it, you know, like that, that is, I think that there are a lot of coaches that I, that I've seen in the past, like that it's just kind of a blanket. Okay. Well, this is how I lead. This is how I do things. But it, just speaking from a parent's perspective, I can't parent my daughter the same way I parent my son. Like if I tried that, it would be tears all day and uh, she'd hate me. Like you have to be able to figure out different ways to kind of get stuff together. So it's uh, it, it is kind of the to me, it's it's the interesting part of like parenting. And now I'm getting into a little bit of the coaching too, Matt, which I, I kind of like. And I'm just helping out. My schedule is a little crazy during the summer, but I like coaching. I, I like going out there and just just seeing kids learn. And I, I'm doing this at like an AU level right now. Right. But when you when you uh, plant a little seed and then you see it grow a little bit like that's the best thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think like you're talking about, it's it's that like now we get to a place where if you can help them reach their dreams, it's it's gratifying. You know, how do you I would say so you you were competing for a long time. What what have you done? You know, now that you're, you're retired, what, what have you done to sustain that competitive spirit? And I know that having a great radio show and, and kind of being the best announcer you can be 
Um, but where, where do you get your competitive uh, outlet now that, that you're not playing? I just uh, do it through my kids. I just yell at their baseball <laughs> games. No, it, it's it, honestly healthy. like, the, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fine. Every, everybody loves it. You wear a uniform uh, and. <laughs> yeah. I just, I feel like I'm part of the team and I'm just going to live vicariously through my children. Uh, no, like the, the hard part is right now, I haven't found that specific outlet. So I have, I really have poured it into work. I do the radio show every day and the TV stuff keeps me like super busy during the summer. But now that the kids are a little bit older, I'm going to figure out something like, so I've been, I've been saying forever, it's going to be golf. Like that's where I'm going to end up getting it in. That's a little bit too slow and I'm not a great golfer. So maybe that ends up, uh, ends up being it. I want to play some adult league softball. I feel like that could help me out a little bit, Matt, we could use you in a home run derby next time that comes around. That one didn't go well for a radio station last time, but I I haven't found that specific one. What is it for you? Like, is it the coaching part? I think some of it's that I, we, I've kind of learned how to play pickleball, which, so I found that's fun. Yeah. We have, we have, we played two pairs, like two on two. And, and one of the wrestling coaches who's ultra competitive, like world champion type competitive. And then we have one of the tennis coaches. And so you get, we have like four former athletes. So it gets a little like smack talky, like everyone's trying to hit everyone with the ball at some point, like, so it gets a little bit of that because we can get in there and we play inside the, the barn that we have and it's just us. And it's like, you know, it, once we get warm, it's like it turns into a pretty good like competition. Like all the skills are pretty similar. And if you leave one up, like I'm going to try to hit you with the ball. And like, you know, the, the tennis coach is like carving it down the line. And so it, it, uh, it it's good. And then, you know, some pickup basketball, um, you know, which which I, I like to play basketball and. So, you know, I try, I try to find ways to, to compete in that way. And, and uh, but yeah, it's hard. I mean, I, it's like why I, why I asked, because I think as athletes, you know, you, that's the one thing I, I think that's hard to replace. I mean, you, you can find camaraderie and, and, and maybe not the same camaraderie, but when you stop playing, like all you've ever done is compete. And then, you know, you're, and I think the coaching thing and, and trying to, to be part of a team that wins something big and, and, and try to win, you know, a national championship or a world championship or whatever level you're doing. But I, I just think like the, the physical competition sometimes is hard and I'm a terrible golfer too. Like I thought, well, you know, I've been telling, you know, Jackson and Ethan, they like to play golf. Like I, I, I'm going to learn. I, I haven't had time to take lessons. You know, I think it's one of those things where, like, why would you expect to be good at golf if you don't practice it a lot? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not good, but I don't practice. So why would I be good? So uh, I'm trying to figure it out, too. I, like I said, pickle. I'd say the closest thing I've gotten is the two-on-two pickleball with some other guys that are ultra competitive and the kind of the smack talk starts to come out and you get a chance to kind of, like I said, hit somebody with a ball, which, you know, it always feels good. Yeah, I could do that, especially if uh, if I heard that anybody I was playing pickleball against took a slide against Albert Pools, you know, I would get them. Uh, but twice that might be that might be the one that might be the one, because I, I did have a buddy ask me if I wanted to play. But the kids now are just finally this is my first time having kids both in school at the same time. Daughters in kindergarten, sons in third grade. So now I actually have mornings again. So it, it might be go time. So if you see me next time we do uh, one of these and I've got like a black eye and a, a cut everywhere, know that I just got into something. Yeah, I do think that's an issue, though, that that a lot of men, you know, try to have to navigate after it's all over because it's such an abrupt stop, no matter if you've played, you know, five years or 25 years when it's over, it's over. And there's just an abruptness and like a complete shift in a lifestyle that, 
you know, you go from being a part of a team and you're around really competitive men, you're, you have a mission and like a movement towards a goal of winning the world series. And then all of a sudden it's over and you're kind of like reeling, sort of trying to figure out what's next. I think that it's a really interesting space and uh, it's taken us a while as a, as a couple even to figure out, okay, what, what's the rest of this thing going to look like? Cause we are, we're all very young when you stop working, you know, um, and it's like you have two different careers or maybe even three or four three or four who knows but it is really it is really interesting yeah I was wondering Leslie from from your perspective like what that was like having him home all the time again because I know my my wife she started to get to the point she's like hey you're not in the clubhouse anymore that's not as funny here like okay fine fine like but how big of a transition was that for you it was interesting um you know I really enjoy hanging out with Matt and so when he played we never went longer than 10 days. So that was sort of our rule is, is we traveled, the kids and I traveled a lot um, when he was on the road. And so that part was pretty, I was pretty excited about just being able to spend more time with him and then have, I mean, we have boys that are older. And um, so that that was really awesome to be able to have him around to help me with, with the boys because they both played baseball. And I mean, I don't, I've been to a lot of games, but I really don't know a lot about it. And so she didn't know the swing very well. I don't, I can't swing mechanics. Isn't my thing. And so if they're like, mom, what's wrong? I'm like, ah, you looked great. And so, you know, I mean, what do you do? But I do think just the rhythm of our life changed. So, and I'm curious if your wife felt the same way, but like, it's like we had the spring training and then the season and then the off season. And so I, I, I had a very difficult time feeling settled. And I mean, and I still think that like, it's so weird. I mean, how long has it been three years? And I still feel like when spring training rolls around, like, oh man, I have a place that I need to be or, you know, and, and so I don't know. I, I think for me, that was the hardest part is just, is being just that feeling of being settled. Um, so I don't know, but I loved having Matt home. I love having him home more. That's that part. Yeah. Yeah, that, that it's it's different. It's different for sure. Now, now, like mine was a little bit different because we didn't have our, our first child until my last year of playing. I, I was still trying to hang on, trying to get back into I was playing independent baseball and my wife was pregnant. And I just realized I'm throwing the ball as hard as I can. I'm looking back and looking at the radar gun and saying 84. I'm like, OK, well, this isn't this probably isn't going to be my life anymore. I think that we're going to have to transition. So like I've been home now for the last eight years of, you know, my, my son's full life and there was my daughter. So like that transition, but I, I'm all, I'm so jealous now, especially of like those times that you had with your kids, like at the field, like as a young player, I remember I got the AAA in 04 and I was very young on, on the AAA team and half the team had kids. I'm like, ah, what are all these annoying kids doing here? And now like, I look at it and say, like, you guys are so lucky to be able to have your kids and like share that part of it. How cool was that? Yeah, I think that's been the, and it's even weird because Reed, the youngest, like he doesn't really, he, he doesn't really know like much about like my career. And he says some funny stuff about it. Like, I thought you were good at baseball, you know, like if we're playing catch and he throws one and I don't catch it because it was a terrible throw. He's like, come on, Matt Holiday, I thought you were good at baseball. (laughs) Stuff like that. And I'm like, that was a terrible throw, Reed. You know, like what, what, I mean, nobody would have caught that. So, but, you know, having Jackson and Ethan, and I think that that really, I think having them around really harvested a love and a passion and, and a joy of playing baseball. And I don't, and I don't, so I'm not saying you couldn't have that without that experience, but 
I think them getting a chance to grow up in the locker room around really great guys and really great players and them seeing a locker locker room dynamic and what it takes and watching guys like Chris Carpenter, Adam Wainwright, and these great players and what the, the work ethic and the sacrifice I think has been super beneficial to them wanting to pursue their, their dreams of playing baseball. So I don't have to reference things that they have never seen. Um, so they've seen it with their own eyes, which I think has been, has been great and made it, you know, like I said, less on me to have to, you know, tell them how much sacrifice that it actually takes. They've actually seen it. So um, it was, it was really cool. Um, you know, we have lots of great pictures and memories of, of, of them getting to be part of it. I remember, you know, Jackson's kind of first, uh, you know, home run derby in Pittsburgh in 2005. And, and just that moment, uh, a picture of holding him. And then, you know, now of course he's uh, 17 and, and hit his own home run derby in, in Kaufman Field, you know, a couple days ago. So it really has been kind of this really cool evolution of, you know, him as a kid getting to start out almost, you know, he was born first year of my career. And then, you know, by the end of my career, he's 15 or 16 hitting with, you know, the big league guys on the field. And uh, it's been, it's been neat. It's, it makes you feel old, but uh, I think it has been, been helpful. Yeah. That is cool. That is, that is so cool. Nowadays, I leave for work and again, my, my daughter is five and my daughter will say, hey, hey, babe, I'm going to work. She's like, okay, say hi to Fred Bird. I do a TV <laughs> show with Fred Bird on the weekend. She thinks I go to work with Fred Bird every day. Like it's all perspective, you know? I was going to say, I mean, Jamie Rivers is close. I mean, right? <laughs> yes. No, yeah. Jamie Rivers, former blue, is a bit of a character himself. He could absolutely be a mascot. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. All right, let's ask Brad your, your question okay, at all the right. end. So at the end of these shows, we like table 40, it's, you know, I think that when we named it, we, we used to love the, the idea of, of an off day, of having teammates, friends over to the house and, and having a barbecue or cooking and, and having guys sit around the table and hence the name of the show, Table 40. If you had uh, a table tonight with eight people six, eight, 10 people from, from your life could be, I don't know, people from the past. We've had some really random answers, uh, or it could be former teammates, which is totally fine. Who's at your table and what are you eating? Oh my gosh. Well, the, 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 what I'm eating is probably a lot easier than the, uh, who's going to be at the, at the table here for me. Look, I'm a meat and potatoes guy. So this is going to be, we're going steakhouse of some sort with a bunch of great sides like that right. part of it's easy favorite steak that you've had in the big leagues like favorite steakhouse on the road oh uh, man there have been a bunch of good i, I love del frisco's yeah. del frisco's in houston was always a really good one uh carnivore in milwaukee yeah. pretty solid what was your go-to do you guys have a number one i would say probably del frisco's right there at the top um uh, yeah like you said with the one of the perks of getting to travel around to all these great cities was the great food that we got to experience there was a place in, in San Francisco. Uh, what was it called? I forgot. Yeah. It was so awesome. I don't remember. Uh, Super memorable. They, but uh, it, it was. Uh, anyways, it was incredible. Alexander's? I'll think of. Yes, Alexander. Alexander? Yes, maybe. Anyways, go ahead. So, side. Right, so, th that's the meal. That is the meal. Uh, look, I should probably invite my family to this. There if are, we're going to do it. There. So, there. Oh, they my, are? Oh, my kids are already there. Oh, good, good, yeah. because that was going to be embarrassing if I got to the end of this. I'm like, ah, oh, no, oh, no, good. they they shouldn't. Look, you guys are invited. 
I would love you to show up. We come. I think it's your (laughs) restaurant. Yeah, it's your place. Look, uh, I'm going to invite some of my bullpen mates first. Like I, I, the guys that I spent so much time hanging out with. So Izzy is going to be there. Uh, Randy Flores, left-handed reliever, now assistant general manager. Randy uh, got ordained and he officiated the wedding of my wife and I. So I, I believe that Randy Flores should probably be there. That was actually kind of a fun one Plus too, because nobody had party tricks. He has so many party tricks. The guy's amazing. Didn't do that at the wedding, but has a lot of party tricks nonetheless. Yeah, he is something special. So he's going to get invited. And and as we didn't tell anybody that this was going to be happening, by the way, that he was going to officiate it. And I remember seeing from me standing at the altar, seeing Jason Isringhausen's face when Flo walks up there. He's got got the Bible. He just looks like mouth is, is wide open. So it worked out great. And I believe that we're still officially married after 13 years. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably going to be there. Uh, no question. Look, uh, sticking with, uh, with the baseball theme, I would like to have, and after I got to talk to him four years later, I, I'd love to have carp there. Cause I want to find out the first three years, why he didn't talk to me a little bit more. Uh, I think that would be great. And uh, look, just, for me, more family. Like, I, I want my parents there. I want them, uh, like, I just want to be surrounded. That's one of the hard things uh, growing up in, uh, it, grew up in Las Vegas, now have transplanted into uh, the St. Louis area. And I love it. And it's amazing how quickly, as you guys know, how quickly you can get ingrained in, in the city. But I miss my family, right? So if I could get the whole crew back together at a dinner with some of my former teammates and some, some of my old buddies, I mean, that's just, uh, that's the perfect mix. So does, do you watch Ted Lasso? Yeah, I watch Ted Lasso. So Roy Kent, I mean, Carp's got to be Roy Kent for you, right? I mean, just. Uh. Yes, yes, that's about first right. That's years. Exactly, big heart, though, big yeah. heart. Yeah, yeah, the first three years of Roy, Roy Kent treatment right there. Just, just grunting at you. <laughs> yeah, that show is genius, by the way. Yes. Look, yeah. Ted Lasso might come to this. I need a main character, yeah. but. There you go. It is a good. <laughs> That's good amazing. Show. When I see Roy Kent make, I'm like that. That has a lot of carp in him, right there. Like yes, carp in his yeah, it, competitive it, mindset, right there. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And for any like crossover uh, Cardinals and Blues fans, every time I hear carp, uh, it's almost uh, Barrett Jackman played for the Blues long time. Those two sound identical. I mean, they could be brothers too when you look at them. That's amazing. Yeah. So, all right. Well, good. I'm glad you watch uh, Ted Lasso. I figured you would. A man of your uh, humor would would uh, appreciate that. So, I'm glad. Matt, we did we did a couple of weeks ago, and this was before the Cardinals' huge winning streak, and things weren't going great. Okay, and they had a lead. I think they blew it. It might have been after the Brewers ended up hitting a walk off grand slam. And we do a a like a key to the game. And my key to the game, you'll appreciate, was be a goldfish. Yeah, just be a goldfish. Forget what just happened, and hey, focus on now. That's a really good in sports in general. You better be a goldfish, or else you know it's going to be a long, a long season. So, yeah, that's, no, that's that is the key. Jackson's thing too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is fun. I'm Thanks glad. Thanks for coming on, I'm buddy. I'm glad you we, said yes. Yeah, so come on. we uh, we've been meaning to bring some humor to this show, so I thought I'd you know we had. Oh some shoot. Fun. We had Skippy on and, and some of your, your old teammates that, that have good, you know, we've had some really funny teammates over the years. Oh, Skippy's one of the best. Skippy's coming to dinner. I forgot about Skippy. I still got- owe Skip dinner. 
There we go. He can, yeah, he can come for the dinner. This will be the one you guys are paying for it. It's your restaurant. <laughs> so that sounds good. No, thank you guys for having me. This is a, this is a lot of fun. I appreciate what you guys do. Thank you for listening to Table 40 with Matt and Leslie Holiday, part of the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. For more stories on sports intersecting with faith, visit sportsspectrum.com.